place. This is Anthony once again with Book Talk. And today we have a very great guest. And I'm believing that you're going to enjoy really this uh, show. And uh, it's none other than Richard Stone with a book, quite an interesting book, I believe, uh, known as Story Intelligence. Ah, sounds good, isn't it? So whoever is joining us, I would like you to be an active participant. If you can ask questions, if you can uh, input on anything, that would be good. But why don't we give this opportunity to just welcome Richard Stone, who is for about 30 years, an expert on storytelling and its application on business, healthcare and education. And he's been talking to various organizations around the US, including some 500 Fortune companies. So Richard Stone, welcome to our show. Oh, thanks for having me, Anthony. Good to be with you today. Yeah, appreciate I appreciate it. Thank you. So yeah. please tell us a bit more about yourself. Well, um, you know, I tell people I got I, I didn't set out to be involved with storytelling early in my life. <laughs> that wasn't something I said, oh, I want to grow up and do work with storytelling. Yeah. Um, uh, actually, but I've been in the communication business for many years. And uh, in an earlier lifetime, I was uh, running an advertising agency in Orlando, Florida. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I was selling it. I had decided I had to get out of that business. I, it was killing me. It was too, mm -hmm. it was, I was working myself to, to the bone. Yeah. And uh, I was uh, out backpacking out West in the Western part of the United States and was flying back to Florida. And two people were seated next to me on the plane and they were backpackers. And so, you know, when backpackers get together, you know, they, did you, have you hiked this trail, you hiked that trail. Yeah. At some point they said, have you ever been to the National Storytelling Festival? Mm -hmm. And I had no clue what that was, yeah. uh, but here in the United States, uh, in Jonesboro, Tennessee, which is not far from Atlanta where I live, maybe about mm -hmm. three or four hours, um, about 10,000 people show up the first weekend of October to listen to the best storytellers from around the world. They really bring all the best storytellers from around the world. And it's a very folksy event. Uh, they set up revival-sized tents around the town, and mm -hmm. and you know people just sit and congregate and listen to these great storytellers. And I, uh, I got to know these people, and they invited me to come up with them that year. And I went up, and I had like an epiphany in the audience. I was sitting there going, "This is what I'm supposed to be doing." Wow. And and I was listening to a third-generation farmer from Minnesota, which is in the central part of the of, of the country talking okay. about his experiences running a farm. And that, that was about as far from my life experiences as, as I could, you can imagine. But <laughs> the power of story is, is that we can go to other people's places and where they live and we can experience what they experienced. And for me, yeah. it was very powerful. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I realized at that moment I wanted to do something with storytelling. I had no clue what that looked like. Yeah. Um, but uh, I embarked, uh, my, my company sold soon after that. And then I embarked uh, on a career in story, which mm -hmm. has been kind of an interesting, kind of interesting journey to say the least. And it's led me to work with a, a whole wide variety of people and companies. Uh, early on in my career, I uh, was working with hospices. I don't know if you're familiar with hospice, Anthony, yeah. but it's a yeah. 
you know, it's working with people who are at the end of life mm-hmm. and providing a, a kind of a, a comfort and care for them. Yeah. And, you know, when we reach the end of our lives, if we have not really um, reviewed our life and taken a stock of, you know, what have we learned? What, what's been valuable in, the, in these experiences along the way? Uh, if we haven't done that, then, um, then we often don't know what it's meant. Yeah. And so I, I began designing, uh, training people how to do that well. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. Oh, that's quite interesting. I mean, I can't imagine that whole congregation of so many thousands of people who've just come together to share stories and experience life in a new dimension through words. <laughs> that's that's, that's right. Yeah. And then yeah. you're making it a lifetime. I mean, a business and you are in it and... Uh, I mean, some of the things we don't even, we can't even imagine how someone will take a story and uh, make it a business, make it a life. That, that's quite interesting. Well, yeah, and I, I didn't, you know, I didn't, that wasn't what I set out to do. But at some point, I had a client, a previous client in the advertising business. Mm-hmm. And I, I began having these thoughts that leaders need to be good storytellers. Yeah. And that... Um, that storytelling might be a way of addressing kind of difficult problems in businesses. And I went to him and I said, hey, Chuck, I'm thinking about these ideas. Do you have a problem here in your business that maybe we could test this on? Mm -hmm. And uh, he was in the pest control business. Um, And he did have a problem. There was uh, in South Florida, Uh, there's a kind of little ant they call it a ghost ant because it's so teeny okay and uh and his guys weren't doing a very good job of getting rid of the ghost ant and it turns out if you don't do it right the the ghost ants freak out and they they create two colonies so now you got (laughs) double problems yeah and he was having to send people out to retreat and uh, it was costing him a lot of money he said you can fix that for me um, you got something. And, um, so we began experimenting with uh, what was being communicated, uh, by the managers to the people who were doing the work. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, often what happens in businesses, businesses are often at cross purposes. Yeah. You know, that, you know, you know, one hand you say, Hey, you want to do it right. And the other hand say, you want to do it quick. And, and in this case, they were trying to get it done quick, but they weren't doing it right. Yeah. And uh, so the question is, how do you how do you reinforce in the minds of people the idea of what's important, mm-hmm. what's really the most important thing? And sometimes we have competing values in yeah. our lives and we have to kind of balance those. And, you know, and, and, you know, this is important and this is important. Well, which one do I give attention to? And yeah. and and there are consequences like in every story where something have a character does something and there are consequences in life, there are consequences. And so stories allow us to um, visit the future, imagine Mm -hmm. uh, going someplace and doing something and, and, and seeing what the consequences are without having to suffer them. Mm -hmm. So we can, it's like a simulation. We can kind of simulate the future and go, Oh, gosh, if I did that, I don't think it's going to turn out very well in my life or for my career or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was the beginning of the work for me. And, um, and so in the work, I, you know, one of the things that I tell leaders is that they have to become masters of story. Yeah. 
And so one of the things that we have been thinking about for some time is, is that we each have uh, an innate capacity to, to tell stories. In fact, mm -hmm. we're all wired for it. Mm -hmm. And most people aren't aware that we're wired for story. Yeah. And our brains have been, you know, we've evolved for hundreds of thousands of years and people have been gathering around central fires every evening to tell stories. And, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, you can go back to hundreds of thousands of years ago to the cave drawings and you can find those caves in every continent of the, of the world where people were capturing their experiences. Yeah. And, and I think those those cave drawings weren't just capturing their experiences. I think they were the early PowerPoints. <laughs> I think what people were doing was that they were teaching mm -hmm. younger people about, you know, well, if you're going to take down a woolly mammoth, that's a pretty big animal. And it's easy to get crushed or get gored by one of their tusks. So, you know, let me tell you the stories of the things that you need to avoid. Yeah. How do you, how do, you do this successfully? And so mm -hmm. we have been telling stories for hundreds of thousands of years um really and often they are cautionary tales don't mm. do this because if mm. you do this something bad will happen you're better off to do this over yeah. here you know mm. don't go to that watering hole at eight o'clock in the morning because the tiger is always there drinking at eight o'clock in the morning and the last person who went at eight o'clock in the morning didn't come back you know yeah. you know <laughs> he became the tiger's breakfast yeah so um we we've been telling stories for a long time, so we're wired for it. And mm -hmm. so the idea that we would use stories in our organizational life, but also in our family life mm -hmm. um, is not a new idea. We've been doing this forever. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, in some ways people are rediscovering what has been obvious, mm -hmm. you know, that we've been doing, you know, we're all wired for that. What do you do at the end of the day when you get together with your spouse or your friends or your girlfriend or boyfriend? You know, how, how was your day and what happened? And, you know, this happened and you won't believe what I saw today. And, you know, and this person on, on the, on the freeway almost cut me off and they spun out, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, so we tell stories all the time about our experiences mm -hmm. and we're swimming in stories. Yeah. We're all I swimming in stories right now. And, and the, and not all stories are true, <laughs> you know? And so we often ingest those stories. Mm -hmm. Um, without, uh, without examining them, they just, we just sort of eat them, you know, take them in and they, and they have a way of implanting themselves in our consciousness in a way. Mm -hmm. And we uh, don't even realize they take up residence. Yeah. 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 Some, I mean, they shape us, they shape our mind and the way we think and the way we do things yes. that we hear. Uh, I would be very interested to hear the story you give or the story that you, you made up in order to give the company workers how they were going to control the ghost ants? Oh, the ghost ants. Oh boy, yeah. we're going back a long way. Well, we 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 basically um, we we asked the question: What what do we want them to do? Mm -hmm. How do we want them to behave? Yes. And, and so, well, I think that if I recall, what we did was we 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 found stories of people who were doing it well, mm -hmm. and where they weren't having to go back and retreat. Let me tell you the story about Bill. Okay. Uh, Bill's one of our top uh, treatment people. Bill mm -hmm. hasn't had to retreat for ghost ants for, uh, for, for, for over a year now. And let me tell you what he does Yeah, and why, and, 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 and because he does that, not only is he our, our, you know, most valued employee, mm -hmm. uh, 
Bill got a big bonus this year <laughs> because he didn't have to go back and retreat. I see what so, you, yeah. so what you what you do with these stories is you create exemplars for mm -hmm. how to behave. Mm -hmm. um, there's um, there's a guy named David Armstrong here in this country in the U.S. who runs yeah. a, an org, a company called Armstrong International, mm -hmm. and um, you know, most companies have a set of policies and procedures. And, you know, when you when you join the company, they they give you a manual with all the all the do's and don'ts. Mm -hmm. You know, here's here's what you do. And and here's what and if you do these things over here, this will get you either reprimanded or fired, you know. Yeah. And some and, of the things are intimidating. I mean, all yeah. but, but often it's a very thick book, you know, yeah. and everybody kind of nods their head and it goes on a shelf. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, and David recognized that, and he was uh, he loved uh, collecting stories from his employees. Yeah. And uh, one of the one of the one of the story that has stuck with me is sort of iconic is that uh, they had they had various values. Every organization values different things, and one they mm -hmm. value creativity. They really yeah. value people being creative. Mm -hmm. Now they were also a manufacturing facility, so they valued safety. Mm -hmm. You know, they didn't want to endanger anybody's life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, one day, a guy spilled some alcohol on the shop floor, on the concrete mm -hmm. floor. Mm -hmm. And he's thinking, how do I clean up this alcohol? If I clean it up with rags, then I'll have rags soaked with alcohol. Now, mm -hmm. what do I do with the rags? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and that's a problem. Yeah. And so he thought, he thought, well, I'll burn it off. And so he burned. It's, it's a concrete floor. He burned the alcohol off, and 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 and, he, and it was successful. Yeah. And he got fired because because <laughs> he, he was being creative, but he yeah. violated the the, the, the the rule that was even a more important rule, which was keeping everybody safe. Yes. He could have possibly burned the place down and, and, yeah. and hurt and, you know, destroyed the, the building, mm -hmm. perhaps killed people. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, you could put in a book, say safety always is more important than, than creativity mm -hmm. or you could tell that story. Mm -hmm. which is which are you going to remember you'll yeah. remember the story i remember that story i've been you know i read it 30 years ago and i still remember it yeah. so mm -hmm. stories have a way of sticking with us and they mm -hmm. become kind of uh reminders about you know how how should i behave here and and if you look at every religious tradition mm -hmm. across the world what 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 do they what are our great religious leaders what were they doing they're filled with stories they you know stories, yeah. stories yeah yeah there's mm -hmm. there's stories that that tell you what to do and what not to do and show you what what, what happens if you do violate yeah. certain kinds of uh accepted norms and yeah. um and you know so you know christianity jesus taught with parables but you know he came out of the jewish tradition which is filled with stories all the old testament is mostly stories but you can go look to the far east to buddhism and hinduism yeah. what do you have you have stories yeah and yeah. and all these religions have used story as a way of um of spreading a, a perspective and point of view mm -hmm. um to the people who follow them and yeah. and they're inspiring many of these stories are very inspiring they they uh they inspire us to do better things to make to make our lives better to to do the right thing by people and to to lead a good life. They sure do. I actually wrote a book a few months back, uh, my first book, and it's called Be Good for Good. And it's stories of goodness with lessons on life. Yes. The stories, the stories 
of how I grew up in a farm. And you mentioned uh, you, the, uh, the person that you was talking about who was from a farm and you talked about stories of the farm. You'll find them in that book. So uh, stories are sticking to the mind. I mean, stories help us remember things and the lessons that are in the stories stick more when we hear stories than when we are just told of uh, some rules, some, I mean, stories are very great uh, tools to use. To yeah, remember. and you know, I, I know both in some African traditions and Native mm -hmm. American traditions, uh, there's, there's been such a deep understanding of how important story was to community life and yeah. to the survival of community. Yeah. Uh, one person I studied with for many years was a woman mm -hmm. named Paula Underwood, who is Native American. She came out of the Oneida tradition, which uh, in, in this country before Europeans came here, there were uh, um, there was a federation of, of tribes that, that stretched all the way from the Northeast almost to Michigan. Mm -hmm. It was called the Iroquois Federation and the Oneida were part of those people. Yeah. And um, they did not, and in her, so Paula can trace her lineage back to the Oneida. Mm -hmm. And uh, they did not even have a word for teach. Okay. The closest uh, uh, translation would be enabler of learning. And so mm -hmm. after the telling of a story, they would never say, now, let me tell you what this story means and what yeah. this means. You they would never do that. They would say, what might you learn from this story? Mm -hmm. And they would get a child. They would start very young telling some of these learning tales to children. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, at age three or four, you hear the story for the first time. And then maybe age seven or eight, then maybe at age 15 and mm -hmm. And as we grow older and mature, you know, we see things differently than, yeah. you know, year old sees the world differently than a five-year-old. Mm -hmm. And uh, we begin to continue to glean lessons from the stories. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so I, I've taken that to heart and found that to be really, really important is a, is a way of engaging people uh, with thinking about themselves and thinking about their place in the world and what they're doing. Yeah. And, and then also respecting how they see the world, mm -hmm. you know, so a, a five-year-old children have a kind of wisdom that we adults don't have. Yeah. They yeah. sometimes see things in very, they, in much simpler terms, but often more in clearer, in a clearer way. Mm -hmm. And, um, and we adults, because we develop habits of ways we see the world, we, we sometimes can't see the simple things any longer. Mm -hmm. You know, we've, we've kind of developed, there's a there's a concept that I talk about in the in the book called uh, that it was developed by a neuropsychologist called Donald Hebb. His name mm -hmm. is Donald Hebb. Is that neurons that fire together wire together? Mm -hmm. And so when we do things over and over again, we develop neural kind of pathways that get sort of you know they get they, all these neurons sort of get used to it. So so you know in the morning you know or the evening you you can brush your teeth and also read a magazine and yeah. maybe do something else. You can go on auto autopilot with that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. The brain the brain can kind of take over. You don't have to think about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we we lay down us adults we lay down neural pathways. We find ways of doing things that are you know efficient for us, and mm -hmm. and we stop trying and experimenting and exploring. Mm -hmm. And so we, um, and, but a child, children are exploring all the time and their brains have lots of neural connections because it's all new. 
-hmm. and uh and they haven't laid down these tried and true pathways you know and so they're more open in a sense to the world than we are as adults because we develop a certain way of seeing things that is is useful but sometimes it's not useful it 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 isn't adaptive for us Mm -hmm. um so one of the things that uh we adults can do is is learning to to ask the question, what might I learn from this? Is there another way of seeing the world than the way I've been seeing it? Mm-hmm. Is there another way of seeing myself in my place, in my relationships with people? Yeah. Um, and, you know, we develop habits of, of behavior with people that sometimes aren't very uh, useful for us. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to change a habit because it's wired in. Yeah, it's yeah, wired yeah. in. So we have to we have to lay down new neural pathways by trying doing something, and you have to practice it over and over again. And um, I've decided I wanted to learn at, at my age. I wanted to learn how to play the saxophone. Yeah. And I'm taking saxophone lessons now. Okay. And I've never played a wind instrument, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm laying down new neural pathways as I'm having to learn the fingering on the instrument and, you know, how to work my mouth and how to produce a sound. And and this is a whole new thing for my brain. And um, so hopefully it'll make me a, a more flexible person. <laughs> <laughs> you should, you should. Now, let me ask a question. At what point, I mean, through the experiences that you've had, uh, that you started to embraced storytelling and then you went away and uh, started giving stories and started teaching about storytelling at what point did you write the book this book oh well this book uh this book was just written it just was released in march and and the um the beginning of this book started a few years ago okay Uh, i have a partner uh a man named scott livengood who uh, wrote the book with me Okay. And he's been a business partner. And I met, actually, I met Scott through the National Storytelling Festival years ago. And at that time, he was running a a company here in the United States called Krispy Kreme Donuts Mm -hmm. um, and uh, was very successful with that. And, but we've, uh, when when he left Krispy Kreme, we we maintained our friendship through the years. And, and we started working together, I guess, uh, about five years ago. Mm-hmm. And over dinner one night, um, we were musing. We were developing programs. Uh, we call it the Master Story Experience. We think that for us, for us to live our best life, we have to discover what is the core story yeah. of our life. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's different ways of thinking about it and talking about it. Mm-hmm. And um, so we think that we all have a calling in life. Yeah. And we have to discover what that is. Uh, uh, you know, I think we come into life with it. And uh, and then our job is to, and it's not apparent always, you know, yeah. and and then we get socialized. You know, we grow up in a family and, and in a society and we're told who we should be and what we should be and, and how we should dress and, and how we should behave. And mm-hmm. and sometimes that covers up what maybe is what we need to be doing, which may be countercultural. You know, maybe it's not acceptable in whatever culture we're growing up in for us to to be an artist, for example, or, yeah. you know, or to be a storyteller or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have to figure that out. And but we were having dinner one night and mm-hmm. uh, and I said, I was wondering, we were wondering what would be if we were going to if, if there were powers of story, what would they be? Yeah, you know, and on a napkin, how often ideas start out? You know, you start scribbling on a little piece of paper, mm-hmm. and we identified initially seven powers of story. Okay, really uh, essential 
to effective living. And, um, and, and they are to transport mm-hmm. uh, is the first one. And what stories do is they take us to another place in time. Okay. Okay. And so, you know, um, if you, it, you know, in Western storytelling, there's, and in, in, in every tradition, I, I, I would be curious what it's like in your culture where you grew up. Yeah. There's often, uh, the storyteller starts out with something to, to, uh, to key the audience that we're getting ready to go into story time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you've heard once upon a time. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And, and that, you know, that shows up in a lot of cultures all over the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there are others that are, that are very cultural specific that the storyteller um, in Haiti, I think they say crick and the audience has to say crack, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, that's also, you know, so there are, there are all these different kind of entrees to tell the storyteller or tell the audience, Hey, we're leaving real time or we're getting ready to go into story time to another place in time. It could be in the future. It could be in the past. Uh-huh. Uh, it could be in a, a, a an unworld, uh, unreal world, science fiction or whatever it is. It could be a fable. We're going to enter into a world where all the characters are animals. Yes. Uh, but they kind of act like human beings. Mm-hmm. So, um, so stories do that powerfully yeah. for us. And, in Swahili, it's paukwa, pakawa. <laughs> ah, and what? How would you? How would? How would you translate that? It's 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 just like um, they are used to be, and it happens. They're used to be. Yeah. Okay. That's great. Yeah. 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 And then the listeners respond with pakawa. They all. That, that's how right. I do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so every culture has these uh, very specific ways of of bringing the te- the, the audience in. Hey, come with me. We're yeah. going someplace. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we felt that that was foundational. And, and you know, adults, um, there's, there's a tradition here that, that didn't start in the United States. I think we might have perfected it. It's called the tall tale. Okay. And you find these in every culture. Yeah. You know, ridiculously, ridiculous stories about things that could never happen, you know. Mm-hmm. You know. And um, in, in the early part of this country's history, Mark Twain, who was a great writer, wrote yeah. Huckleberry Finn, uh, 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 Benjamin Franklin, who was one of the founders of the United States. Yeah. These guys were writers and they would, they would write these remarkable stories that were, mm-hmm. and they would, they would get published in Europe. And people, you know, people thought that in America, this was, you know, that everything was bigger and, you know, and more fantastic and they, they, and the stories always had a little tinge of believability, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so people would kind of, they would reel them in, they would suck them right into those stories. And I, and I think we adults, one way we entertain ourselves is to tell tall tales, to make mm-hmm. up stories, you know, and we, we get a lot of pleasure out of whether we can bring somebody. I've been doing that my whole life. My friends now go, you tell the truth or is that a, did you just make that up? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, the second power of story is to communicate. Yeah. And, and so, you know, that's so fundamental. And we've all been telling stories to communicate, whether, you know, whether in our families or whatever. And um, and we aren't always very effective communicators. Mm-hmm. And often we try to we try to communicate by informing people and giving them data and giving them reasons why they should see it the way we see it. And we can mm-hmm. give them information. And, and it turns out that doesn't work very well. Yeah. So if you want to change somebody's mind, you can't give them data and information. It actually tends, that tends to shut them down and they tend to kind of double down on the way they see things. Exactly. So, 
so it you have to you find a way to use stories to be effective in communicating and in my experience, most people are not very, very effective at using stories. And I, mm-hmm. I work, you know, that's a lot of my work in organizations has been around that. Mm-hmm. I worked with a very large governmental organization uh, uh, last summer, the beginning of last summer. Okay. And, um, and they, they, they're part of their reporting. They're, they're required to, to tell stories of some of the accomplishments. But mm-hmm. these are all scientists and technical people. Yeah, they were terrible storytellers. They had to learn how to tell stories. And, you know, one of the things I often talk about is people go into meetings and they come in with their PowerPoint slides and the slides are filled with copy and they just read what's on the slides. And and, you know, people want to shoot themselves. It's like so boring, you know, and (laughs) it's torture. It's terrible. And so and so I said, you know what, You, you know, Go in, don't even bring, you know, have have the data. If someone says, hey, show me the data, yeah, have it in your back pocket. Mm-hmm. You be prepared to pull it out. Yeah. Um, and this one one person said, Yeah, I went to a major meeting with leaders. I had some slides with data on. I didn't put them up there. Mm-hmm. I just told a story of some of something we did in the field that made a difference in a community. Yeah. And 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 my boss afterwards came up and said, That was the best presentation I've seen in a long while. Mm-hmm. And she was like, oh, this stuff works, you know. <laughs> so um, anyway, so there's a lot to be un- unpacked with that. But mm-hmm. uh, it's really important that we learn how to be storytellers as communicators. Yeah. Um, the third power is to enable learning. So we've okay. already talked a little bit about that. Yeah. Uh, I didn't say to teach. I said to enable learning because I don't think you really can teach anybody anything. But you can open them to learning new things. And not always everyone is welcome to teaching. I mean, you say you're going to teach me? Okay. <laughs> oh, wait a second. Well, who, are you, who are you to teach me? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and so because we've, we've come up with this idea that teach, that means that you have the knowledge I don't. And if yeah. you just talk for an hour, you can transport it to me and, and I'll somehow absorb it. Hmm. And, and, you know, the truth is we've probably forgotten most of what we learned in our education mm-hmm. because through that kind of education. I agree. Um, so, I, you know, I, I explore that. And I think that's a crucial thing in education is that we enable people to, um, to be able to learn in, in a more, I think, uh, I think a more enjoyable way, but also more effective way. Yeah. Talk um, of that. And I remember someone, I mean, one of uh, my teachers in high school, uh, used to teach us a language uh, which is Swahili, and uh, he used to come in and instead of just teaching, he starts to tell us stories, life stories, and he will incorporate those stories with whatever he was about to teach on that day. And I will tell you that Swahili was the most liked subject in my class. Right. <laughs> And I bet you still remember a lot I of those do stories. Still remember. I do still remember many of the stories that he gave us. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah, you, that that's just so so right on. So yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So the fourth the fourth power of story is the power to create meaning. Okay. Create and meaning. so we human beings, we need to find a sense of meaning and purpose in our lives. Yeah. It's essential. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have meaning and purpose, your life is not only feeling empty, you probably won't live a long life, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and a lot of people uh, go through life and never discover that for themselves. Many, many. Yeah. And that's tragic. So 
um, there's a lots of things that we can learn from the from the world of story about how to do that. And and so one of the ways we one of the things we try to do is find a sense of what uh, the, the researchers would call coherence. Mm -hmm. Coherence is things kind of hold together, you know, yeah. and this part of my life is connected to this part of my life. And the past is connected to the present and it's connected mm -hmm. to where I think I'm going in the future. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it turns out uh, there's some researchers here in Atlanta at Emory University near okay. me and i've gotten a marshall duke and robin Fivush, and i've become friends with them and mm -hmm. um they've been studying intergenerational storytelling for 30 years okay the stories we tell in our families mm -hmm. um and across generations from our you know yeah. we hear from our grandparents and from our uncles and aunts and um and they found that the best predictor of children having high self-esteem and resilience mm -hmm is knowing their family stories. Yeah. And so, you know, the question is, why is that? You know, what mm -hmm. is it, what's happening there? And, um, and you know, there's, there's a lot of dimensions to that, but, you know, we're born into a story. Mm -hmm. It's already, it's already left the train station. You know, that story's ongoing. Yeah. And uh, we're born into a story and uh, we don't have any stories when we come into this world. You know, we have, I think, I think we're, we come into this world with inclinations and sort of uh, personality traits. We're not just completely blank. Mm -hmm. um, we, we already have predispositions, you know, and you can see it with, you know, you know, siblings are very different. You know, one, you know, if you have a sibling, you know, they're, they may have a whole different personality. You yeah. Know? Um, but um, we don't have any stories. And, and what do we need when we're facing difficulty? Mm -hmm. It's really we need to be able to draw upon a memory of a time when we faced a difficulty like that and got through it. Good. And mm -hmm. if and I'm not, but if I don't have that story, what do I do as a young person? Yeah. And so, but I so what those young but if I have my family stories, if I know what my father and mother did when they faced a challenge where maybe they had to move or they were displaced or uh they, they lost their jobs and we went mm -hmm. through a hard time, but we all mm -hmm. stuck together and we got through that. Yeah. Um that becomes my story. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I that becomes part of my story repertoire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And so now when I face a challenge as a young person, if I don't have a story that, that can kind of see me through the problem, mm -hmm. I can go, well, well, mom and dad got through that, mm -hmm. you know, like something, I guess I can too. And, and so that becomes really a crucial uh, touchstone for children. Mm -hmm. And they found that children knowing their family stories was a better predictor than anything else of them having resilience and high self-esteem. Oh. So, you know, as we as we grow older and we mature and we develop experiences, now we have our own body of stories to draw on yeah. and that becomes useful for us. Mm -hmm. um, so um, so story is really crucial in, in, in the in the life of families. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the, the meaning. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and there's different kinds of uh, there's uh, there's a whole taxonomy of reminiscence, uh, you know, where people study different kinds of ways we reminisce. And, yeah. um, you know, there's simple reminiscence, which is just mm -hmm. sitting around, you know, talking about the good times. Mm -hmm. And even that has value. We, we developed a product for a healthcare system here in North Carolina mm -hmm. called Living Stories, in which volunteers would go in and interview patients. Yeah. 
and they found in one of the way and they, they wanted to focus on the positive so they said well just tell me about gr growing up and you know your favorite memories who was your best friend what is the thing you love to do the most and the, there's a saying that the body doesn't know the difference between a real event and an imagined one yeah and so when we're recalling a time as a young person where we did something we love doing mm -hmm. It's almost as though our body is back doing that. It's getting bathed with all the biochemistry of that good experience. Mm -hmm. and, and, and we found that those kinds of stories actually reduce people's anxiety. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. you know, we, we know if you watch the nightly news every night, mm -hmm. you know, and it's filled with all kinds of uh, stories about, you know, crime and all kinds of bad things. People yeah. get scared, you know, and they, they feel unsafe, you know. I don't I don't watch the news. I don't watch the news myself. Yeah, the, the news could be, you know, uh, and, and even though maybe in their town, crime yeah. rate has been going down. Mm -hmm. But as far as they're concerned, it's not safe. It's it's going up because that's all they're hearing is these stories. Yeah. So um, the other kind of stories that's uh, reminiscent support is called instrumental reminiscence, which is drawing mm -hmm. upon a past event. Mm -hmm and a success to help you in the present. Okay. So that's kind of what we were talking about earlier with, with kids, you know, being able to draw upon these stories of getting through difficulty. Mm -hmm. um, it becomes important for us as we get older yeah. to transmit our wisdom to the next mm -hmm. generation. Mm -hmm. And how do we do that often is through stories, right? Stories again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then the final kind of uh, reminiscence is what's called integrative reminiscence, which is if we think of our life as a, as a book mm -hmm. that has chapters. Yeah. So, you know, and, um, and how do we integrate all the chapters? And even though there may be a chapter where that was a tough, that was, oh boy, that was a terrible time. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we want to leave that chapter out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but integrative reminiscence is finding a way to integrate it all together and even seeing the difficult experiences in life as part of our journey. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the, uh, the, the fifth kind of the fifth power story is to transform. Transform. Yeah. To transform. And, and um, one of the ways things we talk about is that we, we have a term we call it a storyline. Mm -hmm. And, um, so we can have a, an experience where something didn't go well. Yeah. And the, but we're not, there are all kinds of ways you could, all kinds of stories you could tell about that. Mm -hmm. Let's say you're a salesman and you go out to sell something and you didn't get the sale and some competitor, they bought your competitor's product, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Now you could tell a story like, well, oh, those people, they're jerks anyway. And, uh, you know, I bet he paid them off, uh, you know, I'm not going to call on those people ever again. Mm -hmm. That's a story you could that's tell. That's, that's a story, yeah. you know, but it has consequences because you'll never call on them again and yeah. you'll never sell anything to them again. Mm -hmm. You could tell a different story. You go, hmm, maybe my presentation wasn't as good as it could have been. Yeah. I'm wondering if I had brought this up or maybe I had told them a story about a customer who had had success with my product. Maybe mm -hmm. that would have made a difference. You yeah. know what? I'm going to call on them again in six months, but I'm going to improve the way I talk about our products and see uh -huh. if that works. Yeah. Well, that's a whole different, that's a more empowering storyline, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. sure. Yeah. Sure. So, um, and then 
You know, there's a, one of the stories we tell I share is with from a, a really uh, beloved storyteller here in this country, Donald Davis. Mm -hmm. uh, and he tells the story of his father when he was a young man. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is in the early 1900s. And uh, he was his parents, his dad and brothers were making shake shingles. They were out of wood for, for a yeah. little structure. And they had some very sharp tools and a little axe. And he was five years old and he wanted to play with that axe. And they said, no, 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 you're too young. You're going to hurt yourself. Mm -hmm. And then around one o'clock, uh, his mom called them to come in for what, what's called dinner here in the mm -hmm. South, mm -hmm. if it's lunch. Yeah. And, uh, and he held back. And after everybody went around the corner, he got that little axe out and he was chopping on all kinds of things and having a great time. And his mother noticed he wasn't there and called him again and, he went to try to put the ax back in the log and it bounced off and it went into his knee. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, they found him there, you know, and they wrapped it up and, and his father, they didn't have a car. You know, they got in, got him on the horse and rode three miles to the, the, the town doctor yeah. who looked at the knee and said, Oh my God, this is terrible. I think we're going to have to cut his leg off. And he goes, Oh, no, 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 no. So he got him back on the horse and rode into town and, and found out when, where the nearest train was going. And the, mm -hmm. and there's actually the closest, the nearest train, the next train was coming to Atlanta yeah. where I live. And there had just been a, 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 a new hospital bill called Grady, which is now the tertiary care hospital here. This is mm -hmm. 1905 mm -hmm. and they saved his leg. But they had to take his kneecap off and he was always going to sort of walk with a limp. And when he got home, you know, he was depressed. He said, my life is ruined. I'm never going to be anything. I'll never amount to anything. Mm -hmm. And his mother started making him tell the story of what happened. Yeah. And he don't want to tell the story. I'm just a cripple. And she said, well, okay, now tell me the story in terms of what you know, I and your dad learned from this. And then mm -hmm. another day, tell me the story of what your nurses learned from this at Grady Hospital. And, yeah. and this went on and on and on and on. And, and because his brothers were out working in the field, right? But he couldn't work in the field. So he was learning how to darn socks and do all kinds of and weave flax and, yeah. and spin flax. And mm -hmm. he was getting to read a lot. And one day he realized, he said, well, you know, I get to read books and my brothers are out working. Mm -hmm. And he said, and he suddenly realized that, that putting that ax in his knee, maybe it was the best thing that ever happened to him. <laughs> and, you know, he went on to become the banker in that town, you know, okay. so he had a very but if that hadn't happened, he'd still be out like plowing the, uh, the fields, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, because yeah. he had to, he went a different route. So we can't, and, and one thing she said to him, which, you know, it's amazing the wisdom she had, she said, you know, if you don't tell that story, that story is going to sit on top of you like a rock and you'll be 50 years old and you'll still be pitiful. You'll still be five years old and, a, and thinking you're a cripple. Yeah. But if you tell the story often enough, at some point you can crawl out under from underneath that rock and sit yeah. on top of it. Mm -hmm. And it just becomes a story about something that happened and, Do and it doesn't that? define you. Do you think that most of us are not achieving our dreams because we have been sitting on our story? I think that's true. We've been telling ourselves a story yeah. that maybe limits us. Okay. Or or we or we bought into a story that was told to us by somebody yeah. else that said, well, you're not very smart. You can't do that. Mm -hmm. You're not smart enough to go to college or you're not smart enough to do that. Or, mm -hmm. you know, in our, you know, you should be doing this, not that. And we go, oh, okay. And so we followed along and we, we bought that story. 
Yeah. Okay. And uh, so one of the things that we talk about is so important is that we have to become the authors of our own story. Yeah. Love. So we have to we have to unpack sometimes the stories we're living. Mm -hmm. We have to kind of take them out and look them at them and go, where did this story come from? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, that's the story my parents told me every day for years. It's not my story. It's not my story. That story yeah. is not true about who I am. Yeah. You know, and, and this is a story my society told me about who I am or who I should be. And mm -hmm. and this is a story that's, you know, that my my peers told me. Mm -hmm. But that's not who I am. Yeah. So the word the word uh, author has uh, its roots in the word authority. Yeah, yeah. So mm -hmm. whoever authors your story uh, has authority That's over authority your life. And, and if we yeah. don't take um, take control of the story mm -hmm. and 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 look at that and, and 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 maybe some of those stories are stories we want to keep. Yeah. So you know, one of the things we say we have treasures and we have trash from the past. <laughs> some of them are treasures. We yeah. want to keep some of those stories. They're valuable for us. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, but some are not are not helping us and are not useful for us. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and, and so, you know, we often, you know, go to uh, go to see a counselor, you know, or a psychotherapist often, yeah. you know, who who can help us. They're not enmeshed in our story. Mm -hmm. You know, they're outside of our story. That yeah. story, though, becomes real for us. Uh -huh, uh -huh. We can't see that it's just a story that we've adopted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's it's the way things are, whereas the person that we're talking with is not in that story and can see other possible storylines. Right. Yeah. And so part of the healing process is to suddenly see, oh, I can I can let that story go. Yeah, I and I and I want this story and I'm going to start going in that direction. I can write a new one. I can write a new story. So I think that's that's probably made the most important thing we could share with your listeners today. Wonderful. Uh, the, I don't know how we're doing on time here, Anthony. We're getting close, but I'll, yeah. I'll tell you the last two powers real quickly. Okay. Um, the 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 set the set the sixth is to unite unite okay and so we you know we live in a, a world today which is not very united mm. um you know i can just speak about this country but i think it's true in a lot of other areas of the world mm -hmm. where uh, people are in very living very different stories about the way things are yeah and um and so stories can be used and have been used by leaders in the past to create um, enmity and uh, fear and uh, and distrust of others who are different from us. Um, mm -hmm. And yet we can also use stories to bring people together. And there I agree with you because what I imagine is there would not be war between two countries if one leader did not come out and speak some words and give a story of what is to happen. No war could have happened, but these wars are started by the words that someone speaks, and they are stopped by words that the leader speaks. So I yeah. agree to that. Yeah, words words are very powerful. Yeah, and and we can look uh, throughout history and even recent history. I mean, on the continent you grew up in, Rwanda. Mm -hmm. What happened in Rwanda? The leaders were fomenting all kinds of. They were calling the. Uh, the Tutsis uh, roaches and less yeah. than human. And, mm -hmm. and, um, and so, you know, they infected the, the, the minds of people to go out and, and, and perpetrate terrible, terrible atrocities, you know, they so we don't have to look very far in history, but, you know, you can go back, you know, 
I'm Jewish. So, you know, you go back to Nazi Germany, you know, what yeah. were the stories being told then? Same mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. The same. So, yeah. So the last power story maybe is the most important in some kind of ways is, is yeah. that that's to envision possibilities. Okay. And what's really interesting is the part of the brain we use for storing memories and for telling stories mm -hmm. is also the, the part of the brain we use for envisioning the future. Yeah. So the, the better we can Im imagine the future, imagine the story we want to create in our lives, mm -hmm. I think the more we can actually make it real. Mm -hmm. So if we can imagine it, we can, we can then construct the, the, uh, the road work, the roadway to get there. Yeah. And, um, and there, there's some really interesting studies that have been done on this. You know, they, they took, uh, there was a study done in the university, one of the universities here in this country, and they took a group of students, they, they split them into two groups, you know, mm -hmm. classic kind of A and B groups. And one, they said, I want you to imagine you getting an A mm -hmm. in this class. Mm -hmm. Just imagine what it's going to be like when you get your A. Yeah. And the second group, they said, we want you to imagine you're, you get an A, but we want you to think about the steps you would have to take to get to to get an A. Mm -hmm. Tell me the story of what that what you would have had to do to get to the A. Yeah. And it turns out that that group outperformed the other group mm -hmm. significantly, mm -hmm. significantly. So, yeah. um, so we know the imagination is a very powerful simulation machine. Mm -hmm. We can simulate the future and then we can then create it. Mm -hmm. uh, so learning how to do that well uh, requires, I think, narrative or storytelling skills. Mm -hmm. And the more, we do that the better we become at it i think the better we can create the world we want to create yes yeah, sure. and so one of the things that you know um i'm going to go back to the six power story to unite again i have a colleague um who's in in washington dc paul costello okay and uh, he's been working with groups of young people in their 20s who've been coming to dc mm -hmm. uh, often from uh, war-torn or areas of conflict he started mm -hmm. out working with protestants and catholics from belfast ireland mm -hmm. northern ireland before mm -hmm. there you know this is going about 25 years ago before there was a peace deal that was that was created yeah and um there's an event that happened in 1928. It was called mm -hmm. the, it was called bloody Sunday. Mm -hmm. I don't know the IRA attacked some British, the British soldiers or the Protestants. And by the time that by the end of the day, over a hundred people had died. Uh, a, a, a thousand homes had been damaged or, or destroyed mm -hmm. and, and hundreds of people have been injured. Mm -hmm. And he says that story is still told today in the pubs. Like it happened yesterday. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. so people keep alive stories when they have grievances, they can keep those stories alive. And so he found that, you know, when he first started working with these groups, they had a, they were trying a different thing. They were trying to kind of, kind of have a encounter groups where, you know, people were, and, and it wasn't getting anywhere because everyone had their story and, you know, and, and the story always made the other group, the bad guys. Mm -hmm. And he realized that wasn't very valuable. Mm -hmm. So one of the things he posed to them, he said, he says, I, he says, I'm interested in your story, your authentic story about your experience, not the story about what happened, but your personal experiences. And the real question is, what story do you want to create now? Yeah. What story do you want to create today mm -hmm. together? Mm -hmm. And that led to a very different outcome. Yeah. He's been working with Israelis and Palestinians. We've just had another war in, in, in that territory. 
Um, and that conflict looks like it's, um, it, it's such a complicated story. Everyone's got their story mm-hmm. about this little piece of land yeah, and who should own it and, and, and who was there first. And, you know, and it, it could go on and on and on. And until people are willing to come together and say, okay, that's the past story. What story can we create together yeah. today? Yeah. Um, and the way I see it is it's always the bad story from the other side. It's not my story that is bad. It's, it's <laughs> there. Not, yeah, it's, it's theirs. It's their story. Their story is the bad one. My story yeah. is the good one. That's right. So, so, yeah, we're we're always the right one. They're the the ones who are in the wrong. And so we need to change the whole story, and uh, things yeah. are going to be better. We yeah. can be united. So, thank you very much for these powers of uh, storytelling. We've got transport being one. Uh, the other one is communicate, learning, create meaning, transform, unite, and envision possibilities. I'm starting to envision some great possibilities in the future. <laughs> Fabulous, fabulous. Yeah. So thank you very much. And um, uh, we are almost done. We may not uh, finish the whole book here, but that's the chance that we give the listener to buy the book so that he can draw the stories in the book and uh, get to have the whole picture. Now talk of the picture. I've got to learn that you are an artist. <laughs> yes, I am an artist <laughs> as I'm well. An artist. I also paint. Oh. Now, so that's behind me. That's one, that's of, one of your art. Okay, that's, that's it's beautiful. I love it. I love it. And how does storytelling with art come together? Well, that's a good question. You know, because I for me, um, they they creativity comes from the same place. And whether you're a writer or you're a painter or a sculptor or maybe a dancer or a musician. Um, I, I think they they well up from the same place, but for me, you know, it's interesting. Art is different than stories, mm-hmm. uh, and when I'm painting, I'm often not thinking of a story. Yeah, uh, so, some artists do. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, for a long time, I really resisted giving my my works of art titles. Yeah, because what happens, I think, for people is when they go into a studio, a gallery, or a museum. They want to know what's the title. Oh, it's uh, you know, little boy uh, walking with balloon. Oh, okay. And now they've got the story, and they stop seeing. Yeah. They stop looking, mm-hmm. and then they move on to the next painting. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes story can, by giving people a title for a painting, it um, it it they they want to know what to th- what should I think about this? You yeah. know, instead of what do I feel? What do I see? What you know? So because art is total sensory experience so mm-hmm. uh, but for me it, and it's interesting i've lived in, in between those two modalities since i i've been writing a lot the last couple of years on this book yeah i've not been painting as much i just haven't had the space to be in that modality and so i've started painting again a little okay and um and um so, you know, but art, I, you know, as, as, as a young man, I, I actually dropped out of graduate school to go study painting in Chicago at the Art Institute to the horror of my parents. They thought, they thought I was ruining my life. That's a beautiful you know. story. <laughs> and, a beautiful and, story there. So, yes. so, you know, that was a place of following my, 
what my story was is that, you know, that, you know, they wanted me to kind of become a psychologist. Mm -hmm. After I'd started my ad agency years ago, I got a call from my mother one morning. Okay. And they, they, my parents had built a hotel in, in Tampa, Florida, and it opened when the oil embargo happened. This is probably, you predates you, Anthony, but in the early 1970s, the OPEC embargoed oil and, and there were lines, people were lined up to get gas everywhere. It was, and the hotel had not, it was really struggled yeah. and they almost lost it. Mm-hmm. And she called me and she said, dad and I've been talking. We want to, we want to pay for you to go back and finish your PhD in psychology. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, mom, what I, what I really like to do is get an MFA in art. Mm-hmm. And she says, absolutely not. Yeah. That was the end of the conversation. So yeah. she had a story that she wanted me to be a doctor. And I had a story I wanted to be an artist. Yeah. And um, so we have to we have to follow what uh what joseph campbell calls follow our bliss yeah follow our bliss make our own stories and yeah. live it that's right yeah that's very 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 wonderful and we are very honored to have you uh, tell us about the powers of storytelling and uh, eventually we're gonna read your book now is this your only book or do you have no no so story intelligence this book uh, story intelligence just came out i have a, a couple other books i've got the yeah. healing art the healing art of storytelling which came mm-hmm. out in the 90s still yeah. available on amazon okay uh and i wrote a children's novel yeah the kingdom of nowt n-o-w-t yeah and that is still available okay and um I have another book that I co-authored with a colleague here called The Patient Survival Handbook, which is a whole other thing that I was involved with, um, um, a healthcare consulting group here in Atlanta. Uh Uh, But it was really about helping patients figure out how to navigate the healthcare system. But that was not really the central thing of my life. Okay. I didn't hear a book about the stories you had at hospice. Uh, well, you know, I do have a book I created called uh, Stories of the Family Legacy, which I self-published years ago. And it's oh, not, uh, if people are interested, it's a small book, but it's really, yeah. it's kind of, a, it's like 40 pages to help you uh, find ideas for for sharing stories with families. Um, and it's still, I can still, it's still available. So if people write to me, they can find me, contact me at storyintelligence.com. Yes. Uh, storyintelligence.com. They can find out information on the new book there as well. And there's okay. lots of interviews with uh, some experts on story and some blogs and a lot of other good stuff. Wonderful. Wonderful. It's been a great, great, great time. And uh, we really appreciate you sharing your time with us. And now we know about story intelligence. Please, I remember, I remind you each and every of the viewers, it's storyintelligence.com. Connect with Richard over there and get to hear some more stories. <laughs> Don't miss it. <laughs> thank you very much, uh, Richard. And uh, yeah, thank, you. thank you. Thanks for having me on the and show. Thank you for the viewers too, for being with us, even those who are watching the recorded version. Thank you very, very much. <laughs>